welcome to the inaugural installment of the Grumpy Economist podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and the Grumpy Economist is John Cochran, the Rosemary and Jack Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the proprietor of the Grumpy Economist blog. And John, for this first installment, uh, we're going to focus on a topic that is central to the way that a lot of people on the left talk about the economy these days, also something that you've been writing a fair bit about lately, and that's the issue of economic inequality. And this, admittedly, can be a bit of a moving target. Sometimes people are talking about wealth inequality. Sometimes they're talking about income inequality. And there are a lot of specific arguments that we can parse later on in the program. But I want to start just at a very general level, which is how important inequality is as a way to judge the economy. The tendency on the progressive left when they're asked about the health of the economy is to begin the conversation by talking about inequality. Does it deserve that kind of pride of place when we're talking about the overall state of the economy? Um uh, right. So we wouldn't be here unless I was going to say no, uh, which I will. <laughs> now, I think it's important to reach out and understand what people are talking about and find a common ground. And I think there is a common ground here, uh, which is that we should all worry about people on the lower end of our society. I hate to say low income or low class, because we're not a class society and you're not branded by your income. But you know what I mean? People who are struggling in American society, and um, they have many barriers to advancement um, and and, and, and difficult lives. And and I think we should worry about that. Uh, I lean towards we should figure out how policy is getting in their way and remove the destructive things we're doing. Uh, And then we can also talk about um, but uh, so I think that there is that most sensible people who I talk to about inequality really have that in mind. Inequality is a poor word, though, and a poor measure, because inequality is just the difference uh, between rich and poor. If you say that inequality per se is a problem, then you are saying we are all made better off if Bill Gates loses $1,000 and you only lose $10. Even though we're each individually worse off, the society has become more equal. If you say inequality is an important goal, then you are signing on to that. It's just a logical consequence of what the word inequality means. I think most people don't believe that. So that's why I think it's better to have a convert, to steer the conversation to what can we do to, to help the bottom end and just decapitating the top doesn't make them any better off. Um, so there's the common ground. And I think there's the problem with worrying about uh, inequality as its own problem, not as a poor word for something else that we all sense is a problem. Let's talk about the way that we talk about those people at the top. In the writing that you've been doing on this, you've focused a lot on the fact that the numbers we use when we talk about inequality can be very slippery and in some cases are imprecise, in some cases are maybe even intentionally misleading. Walk us through some of the most common ways that the statistics can mislead us about what the gap looks like between the people at the top and everyone else. Well, how long you got there? Uh, <laughs> it's your show. We can go as long as you want. Well, so uh, I, I don't want your readers to fall asleep right away because, as you know, the, your read, our listeners, sorry, I'm gonna, still old-fashioned here. Uh, <laughs> um, 
This soon pops into an eye-glazing debate between politically charged statistics, uh, all of which are dubious value. Uh, and and I think we need to recognize just throwing out numbers one way or another is not particularly effective or particularly accurate. Um, uh, but let's uh, let, let's delve in. Um, I think the sense if we want to measure inequality or uh, how are people doing, um, I think there's a, a, a common sense thing would say let's look at their standard of living, which is how much are you consuming. Uh, now, um, then, then typically, though, we have measures of income inequality or wealth inequality. I don't think most people understand that these are vastly different numbers. Uh, the inequality of wealth is much larger than the inequality of income, which is much larger than the inequality of consumption. And the trends in these things are different. Uh, so they are not the same thing. That's the first thing to be so even when somebody chooses to talk about wealth or income inequality rather than consumption equality, uh, they are making a choice and usually a choice to make that number look bigger. <laughs> um, so just on this basic definition, why are these numbers bigger? Uh, Income, especially for very rich people, varies tremendously from year to year. Uh, their bonus may vary. Their stock market performance may vary. Wealth, of course, uh, varies even more, in part for just life cycle reasons. Old people accumulate wealth. Young people have less wealth. So even in, in, a, in an economy where everybody is exactly the same, you'll see a big divergence of, of income. Young people start earning less, then they earn more as they grow older. You'll see a big divergence of wealth because old people save up, uh, save up money and get wealthier. So really, you know, life cycle consumption is a <clears throat> proper measure. These other things really are not a measure uh, of your your overall consumption society, and I'll, I'll I'll let you get a question in before we go on on this. Um, the other big issue about uh, wealth inequality rather than income equality, wealth inequality um, is, is uh, um, why would you worry about wealth rather than income or consumption? Given that that the problem is most super wealthy people don't consume their wealth. Uh, they have enormous amount of, of ownership of stock or, or ownership of a company, uh, but they leave all that money reinvested in the company where it's producing things and, and hiring people. In fact, very wealthy, uh, you know, the Uber millionaires around here in, uh, in Palo Alto are the ones who are in finding new venture capital companies and investing in there. They're not taking that money and, and going around the world on, on private jet tours. They're reinvesting it in companies. So why is that particularly such an awful thing <laughs> uh, to be highlighted? Uh, there's an answer to that question, which is, is really part of why this getting into the numbers is, is one of these. Uh, it, it's a dissembling argument because, as in all things, when people are screaming at each other, that's not really the question they're answering. And I think on the left, What's really going on is is not an economic case; it's a political case. If you look hard enough, they're perfectly upfront about it. They they think we live in a society where billionaires have too much political power, and and we need to take it away from them. That, that now we've left economics, but I think we've found a reason that makes sense of why there's this screaming argument over numbers that never seems to get anywhere. Okay, John. So you raise this issue of the the political part of this argument. And one of the proposed policy remedies that we've seen the most of over the last year from the left 
uh, is this idea of a wealth tax, most famously advocated by Elizabeth Warren, but kind of generally out there in the atmosphere. So let's take it on these terms that you just identified. If it's about trying to curtail the political power of the wealthy, the two questions that I guess emerge from that, first, how likely is it that a wealth tax would actually achieve that goal? And two, let's get to the, the core question here. Is it in your judgment the case that the political power of the wealthy is a significant enough problem that it calls for a significant public policy intervention, wh whether that's the wealth tax or something else? So, yeah, let's uh, let me uh, uh, I'll build to your argument. You asked a couple of questions. I'll, I'll get to all of them. Um, when you hear discussions of the wealth tax, it jumps to the economic how much wealth is there and the economics of the wealth tax and a big argument uh, starts up. Uh, and um, I think it's, uh, like all big arguments, that's not really what it's about, which is why the argument goes on so long. Uh, because when there's a very well-developed theory of how you tax things. The government needs money. How do we get money efficiently? Uh, and the wealth tax is not the answer to that question. Uh, it's a terrible tax as far as raising money for the government. But then we get into a big argument about that. And, uh, you know, on and on academic papers, policy papers and so forth, maybe rich people won't try to avoid the wealth tax the way they avoid income taxes and estate taxes. Uh, maybe rich people won't stop saving and instead leave the money invested, even though we're going to take it all away from them. Maybe yes. And the argument goes on and on and on. Um, and, uh, you know, why does that argument go on? Because I think fundamentally there's a different reason. And I'm a little annoyed with the wealth tax people for uh, even pretending this is an economically sensible tax. When you go read elsewhere and they say that's not what it's about. Uh, Bernie Sanders, I think I have a, a good honest quote there. He said, there shouldn't be any billionaires. Um, normally, you know, when you tax something, the point is to try to tax it and not get people to avoid the tax. Uh, you want to tax billionaires, but not get, not tax the act of becoming a billionaire. Uh, when you say that, the point is exactly the opposite. You want the tax to destroy the wealth of billionaires that, you know, it, it succeeds when there are no billionaires anymore and there's no revenue from the tax. So similarly, all these arguments about we want to, yes, we will raise a lot of revenue from the tax, uh, just fly in the face of the point is to get rid of the billionaires. Well, once you get rid of the billionaires, there is no revenue from the tax. So I'm a little annoyed by the dishonesty, really, of, of pretending this is a normal tax. So on to, on to your question, let's let's be honest about what this is about. This is a political question, not an economic question. Uh, the point is to get rid of wealth at the top, to get rid of uh, billionaires because of their uh, because of their political power, supposedly. Um, now here, I'll, I'll try to be open-minded. I mean, I don't believe that's true. Uh, and my beliefs are, are, you know, open to question like anyone else's. Uh, but I think, you know, we can frame, if we were honest to frame the question that way, then uh, our listeners could, could uh, address their own beliefs about how the American economy works. Um, so are we overwhelmed by billionaires who have subverted the political system? I'm a little, uh, it's a little interesting that this comes from the left. And, you know, we got two billionaires already on the Democratic uh, Party side. Right. You know, are they, are they worried about Tom Steyer and Michael Bloomberg? Are they worried about the Gates Foundation? Are they worried about George Soros? I mean, which billionaires are you worried about, guys, anyway? <laughs> 
because uh, uh, all the billionaires I know, you know, Jamie Dimon came out for stakeholder capitalism. Uh, billionaires these days seem to be achingly progressive, at least in their, their public statements. Um, and and achingly ineffective. Uh, you know, billionaires were not for Trump. <laughs> uh, the corporate world was not for Trump until until much later. He uh, Trump was elected on uh, a quite different um, base. Uh, I think there is something. Uh, I'm sorry. Part of the the uh, issue also is where do you think great wealth comes from um, in 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 our economy. Um, does it all is is our economy just a zero sum game where the only way people make money is to steal it from you and me or from the government, or if we look at you know Mark Zuckerberg and and Jeff Bezos and and uh, Steve Jobs did they create great and wonderful products uh, and and sell them to us and 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 did they in the process get a tiny fraction of the benefit we got? I see a little both in, in our economy. Uh, I, I think most of the most of the great wealth in our economy is the founders of innovative companies like these guys. We do not have lots of billionaires who inherited it from their great great grandparents. Um, it, and, and it's not that the rich got richer, because all the new rich are the are the nouveau riche. They are people who made their own money. So I see a lot of that in the American economy, and I don't see them as being particularly politically powerful. I, I think they would have elected Democrats long ago if they if they had that power. There is a, a certain amount of cronyism in our uh, economy. People do get rich by getting favors from the government. Um, and they do get rich uh, by um, gaming the tax code. They stay rich. Our tax code is a sieve of uh, opportunities for very wealthy people to escape taxes. I think um, the New York Times attacks on Donald Trump's taxes, I think, were very revealing, not, not for anything special about Trump, just as this is the way great wealth works in the U.S., um, and, and so there's a criticism there, but to here I would I would argue like to a friend who got uh, hung over last drunk too much last night and is hung over. Do you really need the Bloody Marys? Um, if our problem <laughs> is that wealthy people are able to go into the tax code and and the regulatory code and get special exemptions and monopoly protections for themselves. Then let's put in a wealth tax system where once a year, every billionaire sits down with the IRS, with his favorite Congress people, with their lobbyists and tax lawyers, and discusses how do we treat the depreciation allowances of a, of a Cayman Islands LLC, which is divided into three classes of shares and blah, blah, blah. I cannot see a better opportunity <laughs> for uh, subverting the tax system and, and for what's, I think, the real uh, issue here for trading your support to the politicians in charge for being able to keep your money. And that's what I think is is the likely outcome. It's the way an estate tax works. It's the way the corporate tax works. Uh, I'm, I'm really, uh, I, I think there's something to the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren diagnosis of what's wrong. Uh, it's just if government is the problem, why is lots more government the answer? And I, I, I think um, secretly or not so, so, so secretly a wealth tax along with sharply higher regulation, is a great way. If you believe billionaires have power, let's bend that power to our uses. Let's bring them in once a year to talk about their taxes. And if you want to get that special depreciation allowance, let's talk about your tweets and your support for the administration, that sort of stuff. So I, I, uh, 
I, th- I think it's actually quite dangerous politically as opposed to a, a salve for our political wounds. So we can close on this point then. You mentioned at the start of this conversation that you think there is at least common ground on the underlying sentiment that we should be looking for ways to help downscale individuals, even if you differ from the left on how you'd get there. So if you were having a conversation with somebody so inclined, what would you be proposing to them as some of the policy levers you'd be preferring to pull to that end? Well, first, I I think I might have, I, I, I bend backwards to find common ground. Um, many of my friends on the left don't <laughs> seem to bend backwards to uh, accuse you of all sorts of uh, evil motives. Uh, but once we could, if we could sit down and find that common ground, uh, what are the impediments to um, uh, the, uh, you know, what, what's keeping Americans on the sort of bottom end of this income scale from moving up? Um, I, I think the first thing you try to figure out is, is what's the problem? And to what extent are we the problem? Um, so there's all sorts of policies that uh, get in the way of people's advancement in the U.S. right now. Uh, to the schools offered to lower-income Americans are atrocious. Why? Because they're run by teachers' unions. Uh, that And the major problem there is that you can't <clears throat> fire bad teachers and you don't promote good teachers. Um, so school choice, I would put as uh, <clears throat> number one, it's a um, way to help people in the bottom. Another example of things that are getting people's way, uh, residential uh, zoning permitting, the, all the ways we've put things we've done to stop uh, the construction of houses where near people's jobs disproportionately hurts um, ambitious uh, poor people on the lower end of America's spectrum. Where I live, all the contractors, waiters and waitresses, uh, construction workers, uh, nannies, uh, um, firemen have to drive 50 miles uh, if they want to work in Palo Alto. Why? Because Palo Alto won't uh, let anyone build uh, housing here. And here, you know, you might say, oh, well, we'll build affordable housing, government-provided housing. That typically goes to uh, existing low-income people, not to the person in uh, Fresno or Tracy who wants to move up and get a better job here. Uh, and as estimates are residential zoning, uh, zoning alone is costing the U.S. 10% of GDP. That's the worst-case impact of climate change right there, just by uh, keeping people away from uh, better, better-paying jobs. We could go on here, uh, but you get the picture. Uh, before we start special a 58th job training program, a 59th universal basic income, before we add government programs to help, uh, I think an honest look at how the current government programs are really hurting people on the low end uh, would be a, a great way to start. And then I can go on with that, but um, I've, I, I tend to go on too long on these answers anyway. <laughs> and we have plenty of episodes to come for you to do precisely that thing, John. So I say to our audience, you've been listening to the Grumpy Economist podcast with John Cochran. You can read the Grumpy Economist blog at johncochran.blogspot.com. And if you enjoy the show, please rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For John Cochran, I'm Troy Senek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.